0: I am exhausted. just want to confess that to you guys. Every time I preach, man, I'm just like, whew, I can't sleep, you know? And it's not excitement, believe it or not. It's not excitement. <laughs> um, but anyways, I am excited this morning. How many of you guys were here last week? Sweet. Does anybody remember what we talked about? What we talked about, Jesus, classic. What aspect of that, all right? So what's the subcategory out of that? What? Training for godliness, right? First service, he put that on the screen before I asked the question, and so everyone knew. Um, But we spoke on training for godliness, right? And so this week, we're going to continue. We're going to look at the same passage we were in last week, and and we're going to step into the next session, and and we're going to see how Paul encourages Timothy to continue this idea of training for godliness. So last week, right, we talked about how that we are to feed our self-truth. Right, that we're to get into this book, into the word of God, and we're to nourish our bodies with the word, uh, with the word and the truth of God, right? And then we talked about how we're to train ourselves for godliness, right? We talked about how that we're to train up on this truth, right, that we're supposed to put into action. So we, we nourish our body with truth, and then we put it into action, right? It's not this idea of where we just go to the gym and look around and watch everyone else working out. No, we step into that, right, and we start lifting some weights ourselves, Okay, and then we got to the, to the end and we said that we, we can trust in the truth, right? We can, we, can, we can trust in truth, right? And this is the word of God, it's trustworthy, okay? So we can apply it to our lives. And so this morning, like I said, we're going to step into the second part of this and we're going to see what Paul has to say to Timothy uh, on this issue. And so if you guys would bow your heads with me right now and if you would pray this morning, if you would pray for yourself that God would speak to you from what he has to say in his word to you this morning. Next I ask that you would pray for others in the room, that you would pray that God would speak to other other souls that are in this place this morning. Lastly, I ask that you guys would pray for me. Nothing I have to say to you is of any importance, but everything that God has to say to you this morning is of utmost importance. So pray that he would speak through me this morning. God, we thank you for today, God, that we can come, that we can worship you. Father, I pray right now as we begin to set our minds and and really set our souls, God, to listen into what you have to speak. Father, I pray that you would just prepare us even now for the truth that you're going to uh, give us this morning. God, I pray as last week that we would not just be uh, believers who come and just hear the word of God, but we would be doers also, God, that we would take and listen, but apply what we've heard to our life so that we might represent you well, God. Father, I pray that you would mold us and craft us, Uh, God, just as Scripture says uh, that that you are the potter and we are the clay, God, I pray that you would mold us to to make us look just a little bit more like you, God, that we would leave this place this morning having changed our life in a way that it would um, just represent you a little bit better, that we would look a little bit more like you. And so, God, we invite you into this place, God, to move in our hearts uh, to, to work on us, God, so that we might train ourselves and set an example of godliness in our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week, right, we talked about training, and I started off talking about how our life is like this, right? We begin from the beginning of life, we're training, right? We learn to walk, and then we're potty training right and then we go to school and we're getting an education and we're being trained and on our studies and then uh we want to get a driver's license so we got to go and we got to get trained before they just hand you know they don't just give anybody those things right and then we step into the workplace and and they're going to train us in our job right and so as I I was thinking of this one of the key words from the passage this morning is that Paul is going to challenge Timothy to set an example and so I was thinking of this word example and, it, and it's very similar to this idea of training, that out of training comes an example in your life. And so I was thinking, even when I was younger, right, okay, math class, man, you walk into math class, you open the book, you're doing these problems that you've got to figure out, and they always put on the left page in the top corner an example for you, right, okay? This got me through math class, right, okay? So two pl- it's like two plus two equals four, okay? This is just basic. And then from that, all your, all your problems, like it's giving you different numbers, okay? Maybe you got 1 plus 3 or 9 plus 7. But if you look at the example and plug in the numbers, you're going to be able to solve the problem, right? Okay, so it gets to algebra and calculus, and this thing progresses, right? And that, that saved me, okay? Some of you guys, you didn't know that example was there, and it cost you many a good grade in your, in your class, okay, and in your math class, okay? But this example that was given... It w- was, was there so that I might see, so that I might know how to do the problem well, so that I might be able to solve the problem correctly, right? And so as I begin to think of this idea of example, right, this applies in the same way uh, in training as you get older, right? So, so my mom uh, uh, would have us, she would have us um, clean the house like every Saturday when we were gonna so, like, every weekend we'd have this cleaning day, right? And I'm talking about this is not like your regular, like, okay, let's just get out the vacuum, okay? This is like, all right, we got a toothbrush, and here's the baseboard, you know, and we're, we're going to work, you know? And I'm talking about, like, your, your blinds in your house, you know, you turn those things, okay? I'm talking about dusting every shade on that blind, okay? This is meticulous work. Anybody clean their house this diligently? Okay? No? Okay, good for you. <laughs> Neither do I now that I don't live with her. Um... <laughs> No, but, but she would have us do this right, and she, and she, she showed us, you know, uh, she, she would live a, a life where she would take, you know, she would take the dishes, and she would wash them in the sink, she would put them in there, she would cook meals for us, right, and we'd have these family dinners, and she, she showed us how to do um, laundry, right, okay? And so I get older, and I get to college, and guess what I realized? Not every 18-year-old dude in the world knows how to do his laundry and clean the dishes, right, amen, Okay? And even today, as a 27-year-old man and living with some other dudes, I feel like I throw my roommates under the bus every time I get up here. I'm sorry, roommates, if you're listening. Um, You know, they're 26, 25, 27 years old, and they still don't know, okay? But for me, because my mother set an example for me in, in how to clean and how to take care of the house and how to do these things, right? She taught me, and out of seeing her example, I was motivated to apply that in my life because she didn't just say, hey, do these things. She modeled them as well, right? And it was the same thing uh, from my father. And so together they, 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 they parented us and they, they spoke things into our life and they taught us things and they said, you know, do this and do this. But then they modeled it and they showed it with their life, right? And so they set an example. Instead of just speaking it, they set an example for me, right? And so I was thinking about this. It was really cool. My girlfriend, she texted me about a, a month ago or so, and she's a, she's a waitress at Chili's. Um, how many guys go to Chili's? Firewheel location. Ask for Amelia, and she will serve you. Um, so she's, she's waiting on, on, you know, she says that all the time. That's, that's for a living. She's waiting on someone. Um, and she texts me, and she says, hey, man, there's this really cute old couple that's here, and they are just like relationship goals. Like, they're, like, he's being so sweet to her, and she found out, you know, like, he's a pastor, and he's just, in in that interaction of serving him, she could tell, like, he just, he loved his wife, and he wanted to serve her, and and he he treated her well, and so when they're leaving, she snuck this photo, she snuck this photo of them, okay, and I was like, oh, that's so cute, like, he has no clue, right, okay, for some of you guys are like, what's the big deal, he's just holding the door for her, okay, guys, chivalry, not dead, Chivalry is not dead, okay? It's here right before your eyes. Amen? And so this might be one small act to you, but but here's the reality. You need to remember Melly is a stranger to this guy. It's not like they're going out to eat. It's not like she's lived her life knowing this man. This is one interaction for 45 minutes, maybe a few, maybe he's eaten there a couple times, and she's seen his life, and what she's seen is an example of a man she doesn't know that she's, she's seen him love his wife so well that she's sneaking a photo of him and saying, this is like, this guy's relationship goals, okay? This is incredible, This is what I want to be said about my life, because the reality is is that all of us in this room today, you are setting an example with your life. And I want to be the guy who goes and eats at some random chilies with some random waitress where she's able to say, that man loves his wife well. That's who I want to be when I'm his age. And so we all will be known by something. We all will set an example in our life. And when you get to the life, end of your life, what are they gonna say about you? Are they gonna say, well, man, he set a really good example in the way that he saved money. Or he set a really good in, example in how he ran his business. He set, an example, um, he set an example in how to have a career or how to own a lot of things. He set an example in, in how to be selfish. He set an example in, in how to party and just have a good time. What are they going to say about you? Are they going to say, man, he set an example on how to follow Jesus. He set an example with his, with his life and how to, how to love his family, how to serve his wife, how to lay down and to sacrifice for her. He set an example in the way he raised his children. He set an example in how he gave generously. What are they going to say about the example that you said with your life? Because all of us are living examples of something. And so who do you want to be? And so as we step into this passage this morning, we're going to see that Paul is challenging Timothy that he would train for godliness, okay? And godliness is just this idea. Godliness is taking on God's characteristics. It's imitating God. It's being near to him and knowing him and living like him. Galatians 5, through 23, this is the fruit of the spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what we're looking for. This is who we're just striving to be, right? And so he's going to say, Paul, or Paul's going to say, Timothy, would you train yourself for godliness? Let me just remind us, okay? Paul is, um, is writing the, this letter to Timothy, okay? Because Timothy is a young protege of Paul. He's going to step in, into a pastoral role for the largest church in the known world at that time, the church in Ephesus, okay? And it's believed that Timothy, right, he's, he's young. He's, he's somewhere between 25 and 35 years old, so I'm just going to go with the scholarly 30, okay? It's a nice average, okay? Uh, and so we're going to say he's about 30 years old, Okay, and so he's a young guy taking over a church. And so as we step into this next verse, verse 11, we ended at verse 10 last week. We're going to pick up here in verse 11. Paul says, command and teach these things, Timothy. That's everything we talked about last week and everything we're going to talk about this week. Command and teach these things. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. And we're going to stop there real quick. Because as a young dude, when I read this, this verse, I get really, really excited, right? Let no one despise you for being young. This is a great verse. Let's, let's memorize this. This is good. I'm like, yes, let no one look down on me. Let no one despise me because I'm a young dude. I like that a lot, right? This is like the millennial, yeah. And, uh, and then very quickly, though, very quickly, this isn't just like, a, okay, yeah, like, n- no one look down on me because I'm young. Paul says, okay, no, 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 there's gonna be some action that goes with it. There's gonna be some hardship that goes with it. He said, the only reason you can say, don't look down on me because I'm young is if you're going to do this, what? Is that you would set for the other believers in Christ an example with your life. That's not an easy proposition. That's not an easy challenge, right? That's some difficult words. To be the one that would be the model, to be the one that would set the example, right? So he's saying, you can say, don't look down on me because I'm young, if you're willing to set an example with your life. And so we're going to look this morning to see what that is. And so my first point this morning is this, is that training leads to a godly example. Training for godliness will lead to a godly example, just as if you hit the gym and you're, you're, you're training and you're lifting weights, there's going to be some results there, right? Okay, so training leads to a godly example or maybe uh, better said, it leads to a godly life, right? And so, and so as I was thinking about this, man, the, the person, when it comes to examples, okay, the person that I despise the most in terms of this is the person who is always ready to give you advice or always willing to tell you how to do something. They want to give you like wisdom on something or tell you how it's done or whatever but they don't apply any of that to their own life. Do you know that person? They're like, hey, let me tell you how to do this, and they don't even do that, or like, hey, let me tell you what's best, and it's like, bro, you don't, your life doesn't even model that, or it doesn't even match up. Do any of y'all know that person, right, that's like, they're so quick to tell you what to do, or what's the right way, or whatever, but it just doesn't reflect that. I think of things like, um, okay, like, l- like a parent, like, who's just like, you know, they're just like, you know, they're cussing all the time, they're dropping a lot of expletives or whatever, and then the next thing you know, their kid like cusses, and they're like, You don't need to say that, blah, 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 blah. They're like getting onto them, they're like scolding them or whatever, and then they're right back on the phone, you know, talking to Susie Q, Oh yeah, she's a little blah, and blah, 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 and expletive here, right? And I'm like, what doesn't make sense is that you're telling them not to do this thing, right? But your life doesn't measure up to that. You know, you're telling them to to, to not do this, but your example is to do that, right? It doesn't make sense, right? You're confusing the kid. It for, for me, here's what this comes down to. Your actions are going to speak significantly louder than what you're saying if what you're saying doesn't match up with your actions. Is that not truth? That your teaching is going to be ineffective if your life doesn't match up to your teaching. It just can't. It just never will. It won't work. The guy who's extremely overweight giving me health and workout advice is not going to work because it doesn't match up, right? There's no way I'm listening to that guy because the results of his actions don't follow up with the advice that he's giving me. And it's the same thing for us as followers of Christ. How can we say say live this or do this if our life does not measure up? And that's a hard challenge because we're not perfect people. What I'm not saying is perfection here. Don't get me wrong. You know, if you knew everything I've done in my life, you wouldn't let me up here. If I knew everything you did, we wouldn't let you through the door. So I'm just kidding. That's a joke, people. The reality is, is that we're all messy and broken in this place, right? And so the goal is not perfection, but the goal is to follow the one who was perfect and gave his life for you, okay? And out of that, you will see change in your life. Your life will be molded and shaped and you will begin to look more like Jesus. And what's crazy about this is Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and if you go back to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, he wrote this. I can't even imagine writing this. He says, follow my example, church in Corinth, as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can you imagine saying that? Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. I just feel like that's so bold. Like, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for that responsibility, you know what I mean? But the reality is, is we all have it. And so would you be able, what's cool is he wrote this letter to Corinth uh, approximately 10 years before he's writing to Timothy. And he's saying, I got 10 years experience this, trust me, you want to set an example with your life because I've been doing it, okay? And I'm at the point where I can say, hey, church, you follow me as I follow Jesus. You follow me as I follow Jesus. And is that not what you want to be? church for your children for your grandchildren that you would be able to say look at my life i'm not perfect i've made mistakes but guess what you can look at my life because i follow the one who has given me life and so let's step into these five things we paused kind of there for a second but let's step back into this verse he says that you would set an example in what in speech Right, the first thing he lists in speech, and, and, and he's going to list five things here, and the reality is, is that we could stop, and I could give you a sermon for the next five Sundays on every single one of these two-word statements, because Scripture has so much to say about it, okay? We're not going to do that. You're welcome. Um, but we're going to look at a small portion of each of them this morning, okay? So he says in speech, and so I'm going to ask you some questions this morning, because he's talking about Timothy training to be godly, and how he is supposed to set an example, And so for your life this morning, I'm asking you, okay, this is for you from God. Are you setting an example in your speech? Are you the person who's super negative or extremely critical? Do you tear people down with your words? Is your life expletive after expletive after dirty joke after dirty joke? Are you harsh in your your speaking? Are you rude with how you talk to people? How do you talk? What comes out of your mouth? Is it it love? Do you build people up? Do you encourage people? Do you talk about the things of God and the truth of his word? Do do, do your words, do your lips, does it give life to people? What is it that you say? What type of speech are you known for? Because scripture says something very important about this. It says pay attention to what comes out of somebody's mouth. Because if you want to know what's in someone's heart, you're going to listen to what they're saying. Luke 6, 45, it says this. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces produces evil. For out of the abundance, okay, or out of the overflow, the heart of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so pay attention to what comes out of somebody's mouth because God says, if you want to know what's in someone's heart, you're going to look closely at what they have to say. And so you need to ask yourself that. Am I setting an example in the way that I speak? What is it that comes out of my mouth? Because what we talk about reveals something deeper. What we joke about reveals something deeper. Are you, are you the type of person who's t- constantly talking about other people instead of to other people? Okay, what I'm talking about is, is gossip here. Are you the did you hear person? Like did you hear what she said? Did you hear what he said? Did you see what, Did you hear what she was wearing? Oh my God. Okay, is that you? <laughs> Nobody likes that person, sorry. Um, and it's true, okay? That, 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 that gossip is something that, that tears down. And so don't be someone who talks about other people, be someone who talks to people, okay? Because what we say matters. And guys, as the church, we need to ask ourselves, what are we known here in terms of our speech as firewheel? What are we known for? Are we a church who uses our our speech to represent the gospel to this community well? What are we talking about? How are we talking to one another? Because it matters. It matters. If all we do is tear one another down, I don't think that's biblical. I'm not talking about just joking around. I joke around with my buddies all the time. It's a term of endearment, okay? But if that's where we get stuck and that's all we ever do, We're missing out on who God's called us to be because as the church, we're called to build one another up with our words. How we speak to one another is very important and it says to the community something about us. And so is your mouth something that tears down? Is it a wrecking ball? I came in like a wrecking ball. Okay, I promised myself I wouldn't do that and I did it, okay? But is it something that that just it just crushes it tears down it wipes out it's gossip it's negativity like it's always rude it's always it's nothing good it's just slander okay or is your mouth something that builds up I mean the the best thing I can think of right now is like there are houses and apartments just popping up everywhere in the DFW and what they are is visible it's like oh that used to be a piece of land now there's people living there right And there's evidence you can see. You can see the building. You can see it going up. You can see something happening there. And is your mouth something that builds up? Is it like, oh, yeah, that was like, and now there's something being built there. It's crazy. Is that how you speak? Is that how you use your words? And here's the reality, man. Your words aren't just your words spoken out of your mouth. This is what you type behind a computer screen on social media. Like what we post and what we're saying on the internet is just as much what we're saying in real life. And if we are followers of Christ, there's a way in which we are to speak regardless of whether or not that's, that's Facebook or face-to-face, okay? And so we need to ask ourselves, man, is the way in which I live my life and the way in which I speak truth in, 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 in face-to-face and what I post on my social medias and what I'm saying about other people or other people groups or other persons, what is it? Is it tearing down or is it building up? Because what we say matters. You want to set an example in your speech. It's it's very clear right here, very clear. The second one that we come to is in conduct, right? He says, set an example, Timothy, in your conduct. That's your life. Your version of of Bible, you might say your life. This is your actions. This is what you do. This is how you live. This is your walk. This is the day in and day out who you are. Proverbs 20, 11, it says this, it says, even a child makes himself known by his acts or his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. There's just something about a, a person, we can look at their life, even a child, you can look at their life and know, hey, this is their conduct, this is their actions. What does that say? What do their actions say about who they are? Philippians 2 talks about these people. It says these people stand out like stars in a dark night that they're so in contrast to the culture that, that, that they would stand out. And I mean, this is what we've been taught, right, since Sunday school. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Okay, anybody sing that growing up as a kid? Okay, just me, Baptist church life. All right. Um, and so we sing that all the time, and it's true, right? Because here's the reality. When you're looking at the heavens, you're not like, oh my goodness, look at all the blank darkness everywhere. You're, you're, you see the light, right? Your eyes are drawn to the light. And he says these type of people that are pure and upright, these type of people that live a life of righteousness towards God, they stand out, they stick out like a star in the darkest night. And that's who we're called to be, a uh, a city set on a hill, a light to the world. That's who we're called to be as believers, that our actions would let people know that there is something different about us, that our conduct would say that, that, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I think some of you, I hear this all the time from believers, I think some of us, we get stuck in this, well, my prior life or my prior actions or my prior decisions, my past, disqualifies me from being used by God in any way, shape, or form. And the reality is, is that's just not the case. It's the same thing I hear believers say, well, you know, I'm a believer in Christ, and I've just been making these decisions, and I messed up, and I made these mistakes or whatever. I don't really know if God can use me in that way or whatever. Check the story of the prodigal son, man. Check the story of Paul. This dude's literally, I don't know if you've read the Bible, this dude's literally killing Christians, you guys, us, (laughs) okay? Then he becomes one, right? And what is he known for? He's known for writing over half the New Testament. He's known for his missionary journeys. He's known for for the man he was in following Jesus. He's not known for the man who he was before, okay? Okay? And so if you have rebelled against God, God says that does not disqualify you. If you have a past, I don't care what it is, name any struggle, name any decision, name any choice you've ever made. God says, I don't care. I want to use that to glorify me. And so he says, let your repentance be as notorious as your rebellion was because your life will be represented by the repentance, not the rebellion. That's what your life's going to be marked by. I can change, and I can use anybody. You don't believe me? There's there's a man in this auditorium today, man, I met with about a month ago, and we were talking, and he's just sharing his story, and he said, man, my my life was marked by alcoholism. It owned me. Like the drink, it owned me. I started drinking when I was 18, and and it just owned my life. I was addicted to it. They said, all glory to God, I've been sober 13 years now. 13 years. He gave his life to Christ, and it changed him. That man sat up here this morning on a drum set, leading worship in a church, because of what God did in his life. And he says, my life is no longer marked by that, but it's marked by my worship, it's marked by my service. We're sitting, having lunch, because he's talking about serving in the student ministry. Someone who's saying, I want to give my life to Jesus now. That's Phil, man. Any of you who know Phil, you know that's his his passion. That's something to clap about. Come on, man. Somebody's life was changed forever. And if you know Phil, you know he's passionate about people. He's passionate about students. He's passionate about worship. And he, he said this. He said this. He said, my energy and lust for life that used to lead me into trouble now leads me to serve others. I love that. He went on to say, he said this. He said, After becoming sober and and developing a relationship with a higher power, now I call him Jesus. I love that. I decided to check out the journey church in California. I remember being moved to tears when I heard that God loves me despite my thoughts and failings and that all I had to do was honestly accept him as my Lord and Savior, that my sins would be forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus. A man whose life has been changed. And a man whose life is no longer marked by the alcohol that once owned him but by the passion and desire he has to serve his Lord and Savior. That's incredible. And God is saying, that's the example. You're not known for who you once were, but you're known for who I've made you to be. Will you set an example in your life, in your conduct. See, because when you're training, the results don't lie. You will see the fruits of someone's labor. You will see the results of training. You'll see that. And so the third one, he says, he says, a training leads to a godly example in in love, right? In love. And so, how do you love? How have you loved others? Are you compassionate? Here's here's a good question: How do you treat others who can do nothing for you in return? The homeless man, the person on the side of the road. How do you treat someone? The waitress at the restaurant. The guy who just cut you off on 635. How do you respond? How do you treat those people? Is it in love? Because that's what God has called us to do. And so is your life marked by love or hatred? As believers, we should be the most loving people in the world. In a world that is marked by hate right now. The world is so marked by hate right now. It's so evident. It's so clear. And in a world marked by hate, we should be a breath of fresh air in how we love one another. That's the church. We should. And so in my office, there's this verse that hangs on my wall. Actually, I moved offices, so it's not really on my wall right now. Don't want to lie to you guys in service. Um, but it used to be on my wall, um, and it probably will be again. It's, it's, it's the verse 1 John 3:16. okay? Commonly, it, not John three sixteen. That's a great verse as well. Okay, on love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son for you. That's good news. But well, this is First John three sixteen. I want to give you the background of this, and we'll start in verse eleven. He says, "For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. That's who we're called to be. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous." Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is as a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, here it is. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, that our life should represent the sacrifice Jesus laying his life down for us. That's what our life should model to the other brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would say, I'm going to lay down my life for you. First John four nineteen, it says that we love because he first loved us. Ephesians four fifteen and sixteen says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we could go on and on with passages in the New Testament of Scripture that talk about the love of God and how we as believers are to love one another. And so does your life, are you setting an example in the way that you love your family, your friends, your enemies, anybody? Because that's what Paul is saying. Timothy, you set an example in the way that you love. Fourth one, in faith. In faith. What do you believe? I hope you're a Christian. This passage, just like I said last week, I'm predominantly speaking to believers. I am speaking to believers this morning and last week. If you're a follower of Christ, what do you believe? Because if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, your life's going to look different than everybody else's. If you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then our lives as believers should look different because there's a way in which God has called us to live that is countercultural. And so what do you believe? And if you believe it, how does your life reflect it? A, a, a way to talk about this in faith is this. Do, do you put your trust in the Lord or is your life marked by putting faith in other things? Is your life marked by worrying rather than trusting in Jesus? Because when he's saying in faith here, he's talking about do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? Are you the person who's like, I'm worried, like I'm worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, I'm worried about this and my family and what's going to happen in the world and blah, 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 blah. Scripture says how by worrying can you add any days, can you add any value to your life? He doesn't even have to answer it because it's so rhetorical, it's ridiculous. It's not going to, right? Worrying is not going to lead you to any solution or problem. And So he says, "What's the solution? You trust, Even when you can't understand, even when you don't know the circumstance, even when you can't sit there and figure out the outcome, you trust. Your life should look like trusting in me when the world says, "Hey, all, all chaos is happening, all hecks breaking out, you know." Uh, and it's just like we can't figure this out. It says, "You don't worry, you trust. That's the difference in the believer. You know that your God has it. He's got the whole world in his hands to so go back to another. Sunday school song. Golly, this message is filled with Sunday school songs. He's got the whole world, okay? But it's true. Man, we were singing truth when we were kids. Dang it, that just slapped me in the face. Uh, that's good stuff, good songs. Um, anyways, point of that is that we don't worry, we trust. That's what we do as believers. That's how you set an example. All your friends are like, how are you, you know, this is going on in your life with your family, and this is going on with your kid, and this is going on. How do you, like, how are you okay right now? And you're like, I have a peace that passes all understanding. I trust in the Lord with all my heart, and I lean not on my own understanding, but on Him. It doesn't make sense to the world. You should be freaking out, right? But you say, "No, I trust. I choose to trust. He's got this. He's got this. And so the last one we come to is this in purity. Training leads to a godly example in purity. In purity, says Timothy, you set an example in purity. Timothy's a, y- a young guy, right? He says, are you relentless? Are you relentless about purity? This is being pure, holy, blameless. Those are words that that deal with purity. And so if you're not married, if you are married, he's talking about purity as a whole. And so this is one that I want to like key in on for a second because the world says we do not care about purity. The world says, no, 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 I, I will mock purity. Oh, you're a virgin? Okay, yeah, okay. Well, you don't have any experience, Okay. The world says that is not something of value. That is not something that you hold on to. It says, you need, it says things like this. You need to try before you buy, right? I'm talking physically. I'm talking sexually speaking here. That you need to try before you buy. And so in a world where we can try anything before we want to buy it, you want to get a new car, take it for a test drive. You want a new outfit, change the room. You can check that out. You want a new watch, try it on, right? You want a new appliance, there's like websites you can go, you can order an appliance, they'll send it to your house, you can test it out. If you don't like it, 30 days, you can send it back, right? And the world says, okay, in, in everything, it is a wise decision that you would try it before you buy it. We have so many options, we don't even know what to do with, man. And in a world that says try before you buy, God is yelling at you that you would save that for marriage. Scripture clearly says, okay, that sex was made for one man, one woman, for one lifetime in the context of marriage, in the safety and protection of marriage, right? And so in a world that says you need to try it before you buy it, God is saying, and here's the reality. Anybody who has created anything in this room knows it the best. And just like I said last week, you can't trust your heart, right? Scripture says it's deceitful above all things. So you trust the creator of it, right? And so God is the creator of sex. We need to know that. Okay, that's some good news for us this morning. Okay, he is the creator of that. And so he knows best the plan for it. And we can trust that. And so here's the reason you don't try before you buy people because you're not buying anything. This is a person we're talking about. This is a life. This is a soul. This is another human being. And so your ideology world that says try before you buy, it doesn't fit here because guess what? Jesus, this blood, has already bought and purchased that person. And their body is not their own, and my body is not my own. Because Jesus came and he died on a cross and he said, you don't try before you buy because I have bought that person, and they belong to me, and they are my child. And so you value purity, and you save that, and you hold on to that. We move to this passage in the Bible where we see this story of Jacob and Esau. Okay, This is, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Not really this, well, actually this, but then this oh hebrews it's gonna be so good okay so so jacob and esau right have y'all heard this story about esau selling his birthright who has heard that story okay great story here's what happens esau he's out he's hunting he's in the field he's working he's doing whatever he's a man's man he's out and about you know hunting or something he comes in he's tired long day right jacob's been at home mama's boy that's you know how he is that's how he rolls he's been cooking up some stew okay esau gets home he's starving, man. He's been out in the fields. He's like, hey, yo, bro, Jacob, can I get a little stew? Jacob says, yeah, you can get some stew if you sell me your birthright. I don't know if you guys know what the birthright is, but this is what the firstborn child would receive. This is his inheritance. This is extremely valuable, okay, most valuable. Old Testament-wise, we look and we see that the birthright is just the blessing of God on the firstborn child or, or the inheritance that was received, okay? And so Jacob says, yeah, I'll trade you a bowl of stew for your, your, your birthright. Esau says, what good is my birthright if I'm starving? little dramatic there, buddy. Okay. Another, a, a millennial moment, I will admit. Okay. Sounds like a millennial. And so what happens is, is we see that Esau goes through with it. He trades his birthright for a bowl of chicken noodle soup, people. And here's why this matters, because we go to Hebrews 12, 15 and 16, it says this, it's a seed to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. This right here, verse 16, you can't miss this, this is so good, scripture's so good, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Why would he put this example with sexual immorality? Because he's saying here is that you would not in a moment give something so valuable away to someone. That you would save your purity, that you would hold on to it, that you would not give away something that should be valued and protected and in a moment trade it, in a moment of weakness or in a moment of pleasure, trade that for something else other than what God has said is ordained and holy and blessed and pure inside of marriage, right? Okay. That's good truth. That's great truth for me to be able to teach to students and singles. That's incredible encouragement. And here's why it's encouraging to you. Because regardless, what did I say earlier? Let's go back to what I said earlier. Regardless of whether or not your virginity or your purity is something you've given away or you're currently giving away, it doesn't matter. God is saying, no, today, will you today apply this truth of your life? I can take any pass. I can take any choice. It does not matter. So do not hear me say or do not hear me Um, judge incorrectly if that's the story of your life. It's the story of mine. I gave myself to pornography over and over and over again. That's sexual immorality, right? And God says, I don't care. You today, you live in purity and you fight for that and you protect it because it is so, so valuable. And so this isn't just truth for the single people. This is truth for you as married people as well, that you have given yourself to one person and that you would enjoy in the context of marriage, that you would enjoy sex that's created by God, but that you would be pure to be only do that, only participate in that, only know someone in that in that way with the person that you have committed and said, guess what, I'm gonna protect this. I'm gonna give my life to you. I'm gonna stand before God and say, I commit my life to you forever. And so now we can engage in that intimacy. This is why I don't believe in the one. Just a side note for one second. I don't believe in this idea of the one. Society and culture says, you know, you gotta find the one. There is seven billion people on this planet, people. You think, how are you gonna find the one? You know what I'm saying? That just, that just doesn't make sense, you know? Odds don't add up, okay? But here's, here's the truth. There's, there's, a, there's a qualification in Scripture. It says that you would be equally yoked, right? The, the qualification in Scripture is that you would both be believers pursuing the same thing in life, running after Jesus, right? That's the qualification. And that someone, they become the one when you stand before an altar and say, I do, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, to death do us part. They become the one because you made that commitment to them. And so they are the one, if you've done that already in your life, that person is the one. And in a world that says when things get tough and when things go wrong and when they get hard, it just says, okay, well, the obvious solution here uh, must be the divorce or separation because they obviously must not be the one because it's not working out. That is not truth. The truth is that you've given your life. Why? Because this is the example of what God has done for you. Jesus has given his life. You are the bride. And he has said, I've committed to you. I will be faithful to you. I'll be pure with you. And even when you go and cheat on him, when you run to other things or to other idols in your life, he says, I am faithful to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Even when you run away from me, even when you sleep with other things, even when you put other things and other gods before me, I will be faithful to you. And that is the model of marriage in Scripture, representing what Jesus has done for you and giving his life for you and laying it down and saying, I will willingly do that for you. And so we commit to purity as believers. We say, I'm gonna commit to purity. My life will be an example of purity and faithfulness to the one I've pledged to love for a lifetime. Amen? And so we go on and we're almost done here. Uh, uh, we, we step back into the passage um, in uh, verse, where are we at? Verse 13. verse Timothy 4, verse 13. It says this. He says, Until I come, Timothy, devote. That's a training word right there. Devotion. Okay? You're committed to it. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation. That's encouragement. That's building up. That's what we've been talking about. To teaching. Verse 14. Do not neglect the gifts you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And so my second point for us this morning is this, is that training leads to using your spiritual gifting. Training leads to using your spiritual gifting. Here's what I want you to notice from verse 14, if we can put it back up there. Here's what I want you to notice from verse 14. It says, do not neglect the gift you have the importance here is not on the gift that you have i don't care if it's preaching teaching serving whatever it may be the importance is not the gift the importance is that you would not neglect the gift that you have been given and so whatever it is whatever god has given you and maybe you're like i'm i'm confused in that i don't necessarily know when you get around a body of believers if you're a christian what is it that you naturally desire to do what is it you want to do and that's a good indicator of what your spiritual gift is but I know that in Scripture, God has said, if you are a believer, there is something that God has given you to glorify himself and to edify and to build up the body of believers. Some passages for you on that maybe this Romans 12, 6 through 8. Write these down if you're like, I don't know what the spiritual gifts are or what he's talking about. Romans 12, 6 through 8. They're not going to be on the screen, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And they have these tests, guys. You can go online and they kind of like help you figure out what your spiritual gifting is. If you're if you're a believer, man, you need to know that. Why? So you can train in that. Right? This is what I talked about last week, Chris, that he he prepares and, and, and he plans and he dives into the word of God and he trains in his spiritual gifting so that he might lead us on Sunday morning in the word because that's his gift to preach and teach the word of God. And so whatever your gift is, you don't neglect it, but you work it out and you grow it and you make it stronger you make it better and you use it the kingdom of god to glorify god and to build up all of us so that we might look at your life and say man she really sets an example in the way she serves man he really sets an example in the way he teaches man that person really sets an example in in just how they encourage and exhort other people and build them up first timothy 4 15 and 16 let's continue we're almost done here it says practice these things timothy that's a training word practice right Immerse yourself in them. Don't go half-hearted. Don't partially, don't, don't just dip your toe in. Immerse yourself in this so that all may see your progress. That means you're moving a direction. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so my final point for us this morning is this, is that training leads to progress. Maybe better said is that training leads to results. Your training will be evident. You will see the progress in your life. Others will see it. He says right here, he says that so all may see your progress. That people would know that your life is marked by the things of the Lord. That in, in, in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity, this man sets an example or this woman sets an example with their life. And it's seen. Their progress is seen. Like we talked about last week, someone who works out consistently and eats healthy, you're going to see the results, man. And isn't is that what you want? Don't you want a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God at the end of the day? Isn't that what you desire? I know I do. I want to know Him more. I want to know Him deeper. I want to know Him more intimately. And that's the beauty of it, man. You're never going to arrive in your walk with God. Nobody's like, all right, I know everything about God. Let's tell okay, you, we're done. Let's move on. You're never going to get there. That's never happened. Because he's so vast. There's always something new to know about him. And so he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things. Persist. That's persevere in these things. These are all training words. So that your life will be saved. What that means is it will be lived for something that matters. Don't waste your life. Remember what I said at the beginning. We're all going to set an example with our life. One way, or the no, uh, one way or another. You're going to either set an example of what not to do or what to do. So who will you be? The, the cool thing about uh, the picture that I showed you, if we can get that back up there. So the picture that I showed you at the beginning, one thing that I didn't tell you about was, was this was my pastor from third, from third grade to, to senior year. I didn't know who she was talking about. I had no clue, but when she sent me that picture, I immediately was like, oh my goodness, that's Pastor Gary Coleman from Avon Drive Baptist Church. And I said, of course, of course she's saying those things about him. Of course. Because his life measured up. His life was an example of what he'd taught for all those years. And it didn't surprise me at all. didn't surprise me at all. Will you be that? Will you be a, a man or a woman of God who lives a life that sets an example for others? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this truth this morning. God, I thank you so much for the word. God, and how it impacts our lives and molds us to be to be more like you. God, I pray that we would be men and women who spend our time training to be godly. So that in our in our speech and in our conduct, in our love, in our faith, and in our purity, we might set an example to the other believers. In this passage, it says, don't look down on me because I'm young, but I pray other believers in this room would apply that in any way, shape, or form. Don't look down on me because I'm old. Don't look down on me because I've made some poor decisions in my past. Don't look down on me because I'm uh, I'm a woman or I'm this ethnicity or whatever it is. But that you would set an example for godliness in your life. Father, let us be that. Let us live that. Let our lives be an example of you and what you've done for us, God, to the world so that they may see the goodness and truth of who you are, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's read this together.